Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. We're going to talk today about the anointed church. In Matthew 16, verse 8, it says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter had spoken a powerful divine truth by the anointing of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. It was not something that logic, books, or men had revealed unto him, but God himself had spoken to him directly and personally. This revelation had been imparted to him and released through him to those around him by the anointing that was on him. Because of the Christ that was with him. The Christ literally meaning the anointed one. The anointed one was with him. Therefore, the anointing was with him. And therefore, the revelation and word of God could flow to him and through him to those around him. This revelation upon this manifestation did Jesus say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Some of you might even say, well, it sure looks like the gates of hell are prevailing against the church right now. My friend, that's because it's not the church that Jesus spoke of. It is not the anointed church founded on the truth of God's word, upheld by direct revelation received from time spent personally in prayer with Jesus and released to others through us with anointing and power. Because that church turned the world upside down, tore down the gates of hell, and could not be stopped like Samson in his glory. However, like Samson, the modern church for the most part has so mixed with the very culture that it was called to oppose that it has lost all of its strength and former glory. Its anointing is gone. In Judges chapter 16 verse 20 we read, And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he knew not that the Lord had departed from him. You see, Samson was a Nazarite from his mother's womb. This meant that he had to be different. He had to be holy. He had to be set apart. He had to be an example against sin and the culture that others might look to him for deliverance from it rather than justification to stay in it. He had to be uncompromising and strong by the power of God against the enemy. The Nazarite is a type of the holy, pure, powerful, anointed church. First Peter chapter 1, verse 16, by the words of God himself, says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Do you have the faith? to walk in it. The church in its glory should be as Samson in his glory, 
unmovable, unshaken by the enemy, set apart from the culture, delivering people from it by example, overcoming the enemy and proving that the gates of its enemies cannot prevail against the strength of the anointing of God that breaks every yoke of bondage. Just as the enemy tried to close the gates on Samson and he ripped them down, they did not prevail against him because why? Not of his own strength, but because of the anointing that was upon him. Scripture does not tell us that Samson was any different than any other man, but for the anointing that was on him, the power of God flowing through him, he was able to overcome the enemy and set the captive free. But sadly, many in the modern church do live under a yoke of bondage. And it is for the same reason that Samson eventually ended up with a yoke around his neck that he could not break free from. It was because he had lost the anointing. Isn't that heartbreaking? Why did he lose the anointing? Compromise. He broke his Nazarite vow of holiness that which separated him from the culture. He wanted to be like the ones he was called to overcome. He wanted to incorporate aspects of the Philistine world into his, and in doing so, he opened the gate and allowed the enemy to infiltrate and overtake what could not be defeated because of disobedience, because of a lack of holiness, or separation because he stopped opposing the enemy and started sleeping with it. He lost his anointing and the church of today in large is sleeping in Delilah's lap. Their hair has been cut off. Ichabob, the glory has departed. And when the enemy steps in, they stand up powerless with no yoke breaking anointing. They don't even know that the Lord is not with them. Judges 16, 21 says, But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. This was Samson's fate. This is how the enemy overtakes. You see, in Scripture, there were three men who were Nazarites for life. From birth until death, they were called to maintain the holiness and the purity of the Nazarite vow. These three men were Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptizer. All three were types for the anointed church. And in all three, do we see their story start with their mothers who were willing to pray, sacrifice, and be set apart to a higher standard than those around them to birth a revival with strength, purity, holiness, power, and anointing. Of course, we see this play out in many reformations and revivals of history, which saw the anointing birth from a return to holiness, which grew into yoke-breaking power that set many a captive free, physically with healings, spiritually with salvations, emotionally with deliverances, and then spread out into all the nations. When we look at these three men, we see three different paths that a church individually or the church corporately can take. In Samson's time, he was weakened by compromise and mixture with the culture. 
In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, we are warned, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Jesus paid a price of deliverance. He has made a way of escape from every temptation and sin. If you truly believe in him and what he did, then walk in the victory of it. Grab hold of it. By faith, believe it in your heart. Speak it forth and walk in the righteousness of the Lord. But Samson didn't do this. Samson did what he wanted to. Samson compromised. Samson listened to the devil's lies. He incorporated the things of the world and the culture into his ministry that he was meant to be an example against to set the captives free. But instead, he endorsed it and lost the endorsement of heaven because that's what the anointing really is. In Samuel's time, he stood true, even as the glory departed from those around him because of sin, selfishness, compromise, and disobedience. Yet the congregation rejected him and demanded a leader after their own lust, like those they saw over other congregations who were physically and materially impressive, but spiritually weak and unanointed. So God gave them what they wanted though he warned them that they would regret it and would end up in a yoke of bondage and oppression under such leadership. Paul warns the young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, when he says, For the time will come when they shall not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In John's time, he stood true, preaching repentance and righteousness in the face of persecution and led many to Christ through it. Though he was condemned by the world and received little glory for it in this life, he was commended by God himself, remembered by history, and will receive a very great weight of glory for it in eternity. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Preach the gospel. Preach truth. Preach righteousness. Preach holiness. Preach Jesus. And the anointing will endorse it. Because in these three men I see types and shadows of the church. Perhaps the weary preacher of righteousness can draw some encouragement from seeing his reflection in John. Perhaps the powerless preacher can see his reflection in Samson and find understanding and redemption. Crying out as Samson did, Oh God, I have sinned. I repent. I'm all in. Anoint me again, even if it kills me. I want to see me in John, who was willing to die that others might know Christ. Die to self, die to sin, die to fitting in, die to the culture that we're in. Die so that you might live. You see, Samson thought he was anointed with the strength to kill. But in the end, he realized what John understood, that the anointing gave him the strength to die. So that Christ, the anointed one, could live through him and break the yokes of bondage off of those around him. This is what the church needs to learn again, because in that moment, the anointing returned and Samson's yoke was broken.
Judges 16.30 says, And Samson said, Let me die. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all that were therein, so that the enemy which he slew in his dying were more than they which he slew in his living. In Matthew 16, 24, we read the words of Jesus as he said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, he shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his father and with his angels and then he shall reward every man according to his works paul said in galatians chapter 2 verse 20 i am crucified with christ let not i but christ live in me so that the life that i now live in my flesh i live by the faith of the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me Paul told the Romans in chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's the least you can do. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God does not want you conforming to the world. He doesn't want you becoming the world. He wants you transformed. He wants you changed into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, walking in holiness and righteousness, letting the fruits of his spirit be manifested through you so that you can influence the culture around you so that he can endorse you because you carry the right message. He said, I will go with you into all of the world if you teach whatsoever I have taught you and said unto you the anointing has departed from the church there is no yoke breaking power they are not overcoming the enemy they are being overcome by him because they've left the message of Jesus they've accepted another gospel they're preaching another savior and it's not the anointed one therefore there is no anointing there is no overcoming power God made a way there is a way Put down what you think you know and seek him today. Pick up the word, read Jesus's red letters and believe it. Stop believing what you've seen on TV or what you've read on social media or what you got from a man or a denomination. Seek the king, bend the knee, humble yourself to what he says, even if it's not flesh pleasing. Allow your flesh to be crucified so you can follow Jesus into newness of life because you're not meant to be like the world you're meant to show the world another way it's time for the real church to awake pray samson's prayer and watch the yokes break in philippians chapter 3 verse 10 it says that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. And of course, we all know what Paul said 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, if the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. If his spirit lives and breathes inside of me, then there is nothing that the enemy can throw at me that I cannot overtake. The gates of hell will not prevail, just like the gates of the Philistines could not prevail against Samson when the anointing was on him. But Samson gave up the anointing and took upon him a yoke of bondage and ended up walking in circles, trampling the wheat, which is a representation of God's people to feed them back to the enemy. That's what the church is now doing because they've lost their anointing. Samson got up that day and went to perform, but the Lord was not with him, so the enemy overtook him. That's what happens when you don't walk in holiness. When you break your vow of faithfulness to a faithful God, when you preach another message, another Jesus, when you compromise with sin, when you make people comfortable in the world instead of telling them that God says to be friends with the world makes you the enemy of God. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing and then I will accept you. That you must repent and turn away from your sin. You've got to preach what John the Baptist did before you can enter into the kingdom of God. Yes, it is the blood of Jesus that washes us clean, but he'll only pour it on you willingly. You've got to choose to walk away from that other lover before you can walk into a marriage covenant with the king. You can't have both. He's got a robe and a ring waiting for you, but you've got to lay that old life down before you can pick up the crown because the Bible says it's a crown of righteousness because righteousness is the environment of the anointing. I want to talk to you a little bit about the womb of revival. We want to see revival. We want to see the anointing birthed into our churches with yoke-breaking power. Let's look a little deeper and to what brought forth these three men who were archetypes for the anointed church. Samson, Samuel, and John the baptizer. Powerful, uncompromising, set apart from the culture, willing to stand for God, his word, and his truth at all cost. Let's look at the mindsets that birthed these anointings. Because when the anointing breaks the yokes of the enemy, it manifests in what we call revival. But that doesn't just happen. Someone prayed it through someone sacrificed someone lived their life selflessly in faith for what was coming like a mother with child someone pushed through and cried out god used someone to birth these revivals first we look at samson's mother the wife of manoah in obedience to the voice of god she took on the nazarite vow herself something that normally only men did she was willing to sacrifice, to fast, and separate herself from sin and the culture of the land. What was okay for others was not okay for her because she was birthing revival. And she had to set a strong, pure, clean foundation for it. Not only could the Nazarite not drink wine, which was an obvious sin, but they could not even partake of anything that came from the grape. No gray areas. Going the extra mile, erring in the side of caution, avoiding even the appearance of evil. No compromise, no slippery slope, just selfless sacrifice and holiness unto 
the Lord. She gave up certain things in her life to birth a revival based on holiness that could carry a mighty anointing that the gates of his enemy, hell, could not prevail against. My friend, if you want to see revival birthed in your home, in your family, in your church, in your nation, you need to grab hold of this. It's going to cost you something like it did for these mothers. Next, we look at Samuel's mother, who was a woman of fervent prayer, fasting, and faithfulness. So intense was Hannah's prayer that the priest, who should have understood prayer but lacked in that area himself, thought that she was drunk. He mocked and ridiculed her fervency, her brokenness, her grieving, fasting, weeping before the Lord. Yet she pushed through and cried out to God until he heard her prayer and promised to send her a son of whom she gave back to God to use as he willed. She was faithful to the Lord even when it was painful. She trusted God with that which was always his to begin with, not trying to claim it for herself. Preacher, understand this. She did her part. She prayed for it. She carried it. She nurtured it. She labored for it, but she did not try to hoard it or the glory of it. She gave it back to God, knowing that he could do more with it than she ever could. Elizabeth birthed John the baptizer. This mother of revival stood with unshakable faith and humility against the ridicule of many. Then once God had given her this miraculous promise, she did not brag or boast or try to expose herself for vengeance sake, pride or pomp, but rather she hid herself even while she yet carried this great gift of God until that he himself was ready to reveal her in the appointed time, patient, humble, faithful, sacrificial. Just as remarkable and invaluable as these nurturers of revival were the fathers who selflessly stepped into their roles as coverings, guardians, providers, and protectors over what God was bringing forth. Without them, these praying mothers could not have carried what God had placed in them to term, for the devil fought hard against the destiny that threatened him in them. In all three of these ladies chosen to care for the womb of revival and the husbands chosen by God to guard it, we see humility, prayerfulness, selflessness, sacrifice, faithfulness, righteousness, and above all, holiness, separation from sinfulness, and anything that might lead to it or lead others to become complacent with it. That what they were entrusted to bring forth would have the strongest, purest foundation they could so selflessly provide for the vessels of anointing that would move forward from that foundation for generations to come. God himself said this in Genesis 18, chapter 18. It says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, says the Lord, that he will command his children and his house after him that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken unto him. 
And in Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 23, we see this is the purpose given by God for all priests. And we understand that under the new covenant, we are all made kings and priests through Christ Jesus. It says, but the purpose and the function of the priest is that they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the clean and the un." clean. This is what is missing in the church today. This is why the anointing is rarely seen and it has been replaced by entertainment and personalities. And it is causing many to be led down the broad way to destruction. All of these men and women that we have read about today had to lay down their own lives, their wants, their plans, and their desires to live for what was coming even when they could not yet see it and had no physical reason to believe it. After all, all of these women were barren. Yet out of barrenness, God brought revival. Out of despair, he brought hope. Out of brokenness, he brought healing. Out of death, he brought life. God always works this way. Out of the lowest, he births the mightiest. In our weakness, his strength is proven. He uses the least to do the most because they are willing to give all. Having nothing, they gain everything by simply trusting him enough to follow his instruction and be ye separate, holy unto the Lord, so that he can use them to birth something different that the mockers and scoffers around them have never seen before. So for those who have been crying out in the midst of a spiritually barren land for God to birth revival, he is as willing to answer your prayers as he was to answer these three women's. The only question is, are you as willing as they were to count the costs, pay the price, and lay down your own life to carry it through? God is looking for the next womb of revival. Can he trust it with you? to no longer live for the moment, but to live for what's coming, to make every decision sacrificially in faith for the best of what's to come like an expected mom does. Perhaps you have cried out and the Lord has heard your prayer and begun the process of bringing something mightily anointed to bear. But like that expecting mom, you just can't see it yet, but you can feel it. You know it's real and it's coming. You don't know exactly when, but you know it's coming. And you are determined to prepare for it as best you can in the waiting. Have faith. Keep believing. Keep feeding it with the word of God. Keep it healthy. Keep it growing. Keep praying. Keep preparing a place in your life for it. Keep pushing. Keep protecting the baby. Don't give up on it when it gets painful or inconvenient like the culture teaches you to. Don't abort God's plan for you while it's still in the womb. Carry it through to the appointed time and even you will be surprised by what God brings forth through you. Revival is coming. He just needs a womb. A birthplace, selfless mothers and fathers in the faith to surrender their own lives to bring forth more abundant life. 
to die to self that others might live in Christ, to nurture, guard, and obey the word and do the work of the Lord and endure the sacrifice, selflessness, pain, and laboring required to bring forth the pure, to lay a strong foundation against compromise and sin with their every action and decision to ensure that a mighty anointing can rest upon the next generation. It's time to birth revival. So let us pray and say, yes, Lord, let it be me. I ask you for strength to make my church a nursery. Raise up a mighty anointing that will break every yoke of bondage that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. You did it before. You will do it again. Raise up a remnant from out of this spiritually barren land. Lord, we are willing to submit, to commit, to set the stage for it with selfless, sacrificial, God-breathed holiness. Make us the womb of revival. In Isaiah chapter 37, verse 3, it says, For the children are come to birth. And there is not strength to bring forth. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. Lord, we pray for strength in the midst of this barren land. Lord, we pray for a people that will say enough of this. Lord, use me. Send me. Who will go for you, Lord? I say me. I will speak what you want me to speak. I will say what you want me to say. Lord, I will take the time to humble my heart and to pray. Lord, I will give up my selfishness and desires, and I will take on your holiness that I might manifest the fire of the Holy Ghost in this generation. In Luke chapter 14, verse 27, it says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the costs, whether he have sufficient to finish it? So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple, God, no more partiality. No more compromise. No more saying, God, that yes, I want to be free from the bondage of Pharaoh, but I don't want to leave Egypt. Because so many in the church today, they don't want to be slaves in Egypt. They want to be kings in Egypt. They don't want to be bound to the bondage of Pharaoh. They want God to set them free from the hardship of the enemy, from that old taskmaster. But they don't want to leave Egypt. They don't want to leave the pleasures of it. They don't want to leave the lust of it or the pride of it. They want to be the kings of it. Not me, God, I'm all in. I give it all up. I want to be like Moses, of whom the word says that he was willing to give up all the treasures and pleasures of Egypt because he esteemed the sufferings of Christ of greater value. Lord, I would rather be buried with you and raised to newness of life in eternity than to stand right now in the pleasures of sin for a season, but after it be cast away in total separation from God for eternity because there is a separating. We can willingly choose to walk in holiness, which literally means to be set apart. We can choose to be set apart from the world and the sin that is therein now, or we will be forced to be separated from God and his holiness in the end. God, I choose your holiness now. I choose to separate from sin. I don't want to have to be cast away from your holiness into a place where only sin is because hell is 
torment because it is a quarantine for wickedness. And those who chose to be married with it will follow their master into it. John chapter 16 verse 20 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. For ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned to joy. A woman, when she is in travail, when she is in labor pains, she has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is brought into the world. And yes, ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it unto you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Lord, we believe that there is a day coming where you will reward if we faint not. And today we ask what we have asked not. Lord, bring revival, but we're not asking for fame and glory. Lord, we're asking for your anointing. We're counting the cost. We're picking up our cross. We're sacrificing our wants, our lust and our desire, our pride and every lie that the enemy has sold to the body of Christ of what Christianity really is. And we're saying, God, we trust you and your word and what you say it is. So today we die and are buried with Christ that you might come alive in us and through us that we might do as you lead us. No longer what I want, but what you want. No longer what I think, but what you say. No longer for my glory, but for yours, Lord. We give you praise. Make our hearts your dwelling place. Come, O holy and anointed one. Be with us. Speak to us. Move through us. We are willing. Father, use us. And let revival come. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.